This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Monkeys for the first week of February 2018. My name is Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Acraft. We're back. We're doing this uh, season six. We took a little bit of a breather week. Right. Last week we were both kind of sick and we had to record the uh, Patreon Club episode. So we weren't really feeling up to two episodes. The first episode of the Patreon Keys Club uh, uh, is up right now. You can listen to it if you're a patron of the show. Just go to patreon.com slash hallelujahmonkeys with a Z. Uh, and if you get involved at a dollar or more, that gives you access to that episode and all the future episodes uh, that we will make. And uh, the first one is Yeezus by Kanye West, and I think it's a great episode. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think we talked about some fun stuff. I think it's so good that it makes me a little sad that you can't all hear it. But, uh, you know, what's a dollar? How are you, Trevor? You doing okay? I, I've been getting over a major illness. Can I can I maybe maybe open the, the door into your life just a crack and share some sad news that your friend and friend of the show, Maxton, is moving back home to his native South Carolina? Yeah, that's a bummer. I'm really going to miss having him out here. But he and I are doing a podcast uh, that I keep meaning to bring up on the show. I kind of have before in the bonus episode that I did while you were away. Yeah, uh, One Hit Wonders of the World. You're, you're three episodes deep as we're recording this. So I think a fourth on the way, right? Right. He's currently producing it, you know, in between packing up and moving home. But that'll keep us close together. That's going to be a nice thing for us to have. I love that show. I've loved every episode so far. And our listeners should check that out, too. It's a lot of fun. For sure. Leave it, Write an iTunes review while you're at it. Um, should we get into the news? Let's talk about the news and do that new segment again, too. That also. <laughs> Dylan, before we get into the actual news of the week, it's Grammys night here in L.A. Yeah, I, I celebrated it uh, with a long-standing tradition of not watching or paying any attention to the Grammys. You've seen like the absolutely stomach-churning, compare year-for-year year best album of the year list for the Grammys, right? Like the the list of shame, as it were, of black artists who make landmark albums over and over and over again. Only to be defeated by Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor Swift and Adele over and over beat them out. All those white devils. All the white devils. <laughs> they're out like the stars at the grammy but this year we've got we've got two of our own demons in the mix competing for a couple of those little golden gramophones oh i like to think that damon and jamie would accept the white devil moniker with a little bit of pride i'd like to think sure sure but they were eligible for best dance recording for andromeda and best alternative music album for humans both awards which have already been presented at the time of this recording who do you think they lost to Oh God! So it's it, what is it's it's dance recording, and then what's the other one? Best alternative music album. Oh God! I'll give you the I'll give you the categories for uh for each. All right. Okay. In the best dance recording category, they're up against uh, Camel Fat and Elderbrook with a song called Cola. I haven't heard that one. They didn't win. Odessa featuring Win and Mansionaire with Line of Sight. They didn't win either. I'm just saying this out loud on my guesses. And finally, we have uh, none other but a member of the Gorillas family themselves, or himself, LCD Sound System with Tonight. I'm going to give it to Sound System. I think I think Murphy took it. He did. He did. Murphy got up there and he took the award. All right. I don't feel too spurned by that. I mean, that album's pretty good. At least it's Gorillas affiliated, right? 
in a way, Gorillas won. <laughs> if you've been on a Gorilla song, you're in Gorillas. That's that's how I think about it. Me that's too. How I think about it. LCD Sound System were also nominated for a Best Alternative Music Album, along with Arcade Fire for Everything Now, Father John Misty with uh, Pure Comedy, and The National with Sleep Well Beast. Who do you think took this one? That's a good question. I'm trying to think what of those acts the most old people would have would have mobilized behind. I guess I'm going to go with The National. The National did it. They won. Hey, that's great. I was two for two. That was a really good record, too. Sleep Well Beast. Definitely check that one out. I, I Too bad that, that, that Gorillaz didn't walk away with any, with any gold, you know, with a gold gramophone, huh? I just now figured out that the Grammys, and it's because it's a gramophone, I just now figured that out. I, uh, I figured that out in my head as I said the word gramophone to you a couple seconds ago. Yeah, that's, we both should have figured that out a long time ago, and we both did live on the air. Well, <laughs> the awards don't matter. No, but what does matter was this tweet. <laughs> I got a tweet to talk to you about, man. Tell me about it. Um, so Stephen Budd. Stephen Budd uh, co-founded Africa Express with Damon Albarn, a project that I'm sure we'll be digging into in future seasons on this show. Um, I still really only have a very nebulous understanding of what that was, despite my status as a long-term Auburn fan. But yeah, we'll get into it at a later date. It's basically like, let's get let's get big label artists who we already know to do like really intense one-on-one collaboration with with un, to the west unknown african artists to try to you know integrate the market that's the idea got it he posted a tweet the text of the tweet was the next big adventure begins dot 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 and it was a kind of an oddly diagonally cropped picture of a shipping box like a big shipping container uh with an orange label it says client slash production, and then it's got the phase one gorillas font to say that it's four gorillas. The classic spray paint graffiti. And it's box two of four. So this was a shipment of four boxes. And contents, it says writing room. Very interesting. With an Africa Express decal underneath it, too. My initial instinct when I saw the words writing room was gorillas TV show. Me too. Me too. But the Africa Express connection makes me think it's something more related to the music side of the project well me that's the thing is like how much music is going to be involved with this tv show we haven't heard anything about the tv show in months which is not a great sign honestly but i never think about albums having writing rooms i think about damon having his office and i think about albums having studios where people go in and work i never think about them having writing rooms that's just very interesting specific language and it totally could be about this this new album or whatever, but that's a real head scratcher for me. And by the way, Stephen Budd deleted that tweet. The plot thickens or thins. Very, very interesting. Twenty eighteen. What 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 does the what does tomorrow have in store uh, for Gorillas in twenty eighteen? Only only Damon Albarn and Jamie Hewlett and Stephen Budd know. So that's very exciting, but a little less exciting news to kind of close out the uh, segment on this episode. Marky e. Smith passed away. Yeah, uh, frontman of the fall and captain of the HMS Glitter Freeze. Yeah, we, we you'll, lost... you'll probably know him as that guy who's uh, who's not quite sure where North is. Where's North from here? And the idea, right, was that he actually wanted to face North to deliver his <laughs> his insane monologue. Is that I believe that's what it is, right? We we truly lost a singular talent. I think you once called him Evil Morrissey. I think that's like a very... Chaotic Evil Morrissey, yeah. I consider that to be like a very loving uh, description, too. Like that's Absolutely. That's affection. I mean, 
As a chaotic evil individual, him and I are part of the same family. <laughs> What's my alignment? Am I like chaotic good? You're lawful good. Absolutely. I'm lawful good. All right. Well, we got to balance it out, right? That's one of the reasons why this show works so well. I think that that's, that's pretty accurate. Uh, 60 years old. Not too, not too old. Yeah, but no cause of death officially announced, although he has been like struggling with some kind of illness for a while now he's been canceling shows left and right it's a very sad day the fall has uh just a specific kind of fan like when you encounter when you encounter a fan of of the band the fall the album the fall is similar in a way but it, when you counter like a true fan of marky smith's the fall like that that's a that's a breed of person that's a, that's a specific kind of person you know they really were a one-of-a-kind band and to kind of uh show respect this season we're going to kind of Bump all Mark up in the queue a bit, and we're going to be talking about This Nation's Saving Grace by The Fall. Which I think is going to be really lovely and emotional, and that's a, that's a smart album. It's got some laughter. It's, it's, uh, I'd really encourage you guys at home to get to know The Fall, and we're going to try our best to help you do that uh, in a couple of weeks when we, when we review This Nation's Saving Grace. They're a hard band to get into. I mean, I wish I had had a podcast back when I first came across The Fall to kind of help me wade into those waters <laughs> they're one of those bands uh rest in peace mark you were you were such a a, a special you you played such a, a special cameo role in a, in the third phase boy this would be a great excuse for damon to post that original alternate version of glitter freeze in a, in a higher quality on the youtube page or whatever so that we can have that in all of its glory yeah that old alternate version that we talked about on our rarities episode i, I still like that a lot one of the true plastic beach b-sides dr f you wanted credit <laughs> he's very fun on that song i'd love to hear it in a, in a in you know high quality rip or whatever as opposed to that radio recording that we have um, okay, okay, let's, uh, let's lighten things up a little bit with the new segment, which I'm going to try out this week. What do you think about calling this Callaluya voicemails? And all I want to hear is the message beep. I like it. Perfect. Okay, let's, let's hear, uh, who called in this week, Trevor. Hello, Hallelujah Monkeys. This is Ray calling from Flagstaff, Arizona. And my question was, if you two could choose any two Gorillaz collaborators to team up and make an album together... Which two would you choose and why? Thanks. Ray, thank you so much, Ray from Arizona. That was a phoner from Arizona, wasn't it? Good question, especially, uh, you know, following that conversation about one of the more unique Gorillaz collaborators. Dylan, do you have an answer for this one? I do have an answer for this one. And what I wanted to do immediately when I heard this question, I wanted one from each camp. I wanted an old ass and a young kid. It's a fun approach. So who do you got? I got, and and... Just, just like, don't, don't, don't naysay just because it might sound weird. Go with me on this <laughs> for a second. Um, My mind's open. Okay, holding down the young camp, I pick Kano. Interesting. And holding, holding down the old camp, I pick Carly Simon. Huh? Kano Simon. I think that that would be interesting, right? Like, give me, give me a grime slash, you know, pop soul uh, uh, folk album. What are those two? What do they cook up? That's what I want. I like that a lot. Definitely be interested in hearing those results. What do you got, Trev? I thought Gorillaz has collaborated with a lot of like rap talent in uh, the past, and I kind of saw this as an opportunity to like take two MCs, put them together on the same album, just have them swap a bunch of classic verses. I think a really cool combination would be MF Doom and Little Sims. 
Oh, come on. That'd be great. Right. Oh, I want that uh, tomorrow. We got we got so many fucking good voicemails this week, and I want to keep encouraging you to call in. That number, of course, is 585-666-1233. And uh, if, you, if you didn't hear your message this week, no, don't worry. You might hear it again on, on a future episode. We might expand this segment, or we might even do an episode someday where we, like, clear the docket. Because I'll be honest, like... We got a bunch of calls, and there's so many good questions. I really want to get to as many of them as we can. Yeah, it's been really fun uh, digging through those to hear what y'all have to say. Absolutely. And and keep – also, I know we've done two music-related ones so far, but, like, keep those Loring character-based questions coming, too, because so, some of those are great. I'm really excited to dig into some of that with you, Trevor, on, in future episodes. I love talking about cartoons. Speaking of digging in, are you hungry? I'm a little peckish. You want to get to the roundtable? Let's get to the roundtable. So Dylan, I have been I have been a real weeb lately. I have just been consuming Japanese content. I recently got addicted to the new hot anime on Netflix, Devilman Crybaby. Have you checked that out? I haven't, but I you're the third person who's mentioned this title to me in the last seven days. Really good. That got me. Um, that got me to go back and revisit one of my favorite series of all time as well, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. So I've been hitting anime hard. On other fronts, I also. Uh, recently checked out the new dragon ball z game fighters oh i watched a, i watched like a, a, a somebody play a little bit of it on youtube to see if it was for me it does look pretty sick really good the boys have good fights in that one and i've also uh decided to get back into manga too at the same time i've been reading berserk a bit oh wow but i unfortunately cannot really count chibomato as another like you know element of my weebness because i don't really consider them a japanese band they're an American band, right? Because they're both they're both they're both immigrants in a way, expatriates. And at, and at least you know, in in the future, in the future, this band will expand to include a Beatle, sort of, kind of. <laughs> and uh, and but right now, right now it's 1996, and we're meeting two young ladies as they meet while playing in a noise rock band. Yes, yes, and and they're thinking like. Yeah, do we really need this this fucking drummer? Do we really need this this bassist? You and me, we got something going on. You and me, Miho Hitori and Yuka Honda got something going on here. Miho Hitori, that name sounds familiar. Uh, you may know Miho Hitori because she played real noodle in the Phase One album, Gorilla's self-titled debut, and G sides. Right, but she's the singer of this duo at the moment she handles the human vocal side of this uh configuration and yuka honda is the multi-instrumentalist and the producer sampler uh, uh programmer yeah and and together they 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 made a sound and they made an album and it's called viva la woman and we're talking about it today on the podcast had you ever heard this album before trevor i heard this album a long time ago, back when I was first getting into Gorillas, I was checking out, you know, artists like other projects by the people who had contributed. And I was like, oh, Mio Toro, she played a big role in phase one. She's from this group called Chibamato. They have this big album called uh, Viva La Woman. 
So I checked that out. I thought it was pretty cool. I actually got a little more into the follow-up they released. Yeah, the uh, Star Type A, which which is when the band expands and and the sound definitely expands too. They're doing something very specific on this record, and they're more kind of like let's try everything on the next one. This is kind of like a trip hop record. It's like a, it's like a weird, <laughs> it's, it's a weird trip hop record. It is weird trip hop. But but yes, I would agree that that that's kind of the that's the framework of what's happening here. Um, and my, my memory of this record, Trevor, was that I went to the Borders books when I was 13, Super Into Gorillas, uh, because I had been on a, a third party, like, Gorillas fan chat room that night, and somebody was like, you need to go to Borders, and you need to buy two albums. You need to buy Deltron 3030. That checks out. I need to buy Viva La Woman by Chibamato. And I was like, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. And they didn't have 3030, but they had Viva La Woman. I, I broke it out of the cellophane. I put it in my, my Sony Discman, and it blew my mind. I was so – I was way into it, dude. Like, this this immediately resonated with me the first time that I heard this as a, as a 13-year-old. I think when I first heard this as a young teen, I had, like, no idea what to think of it. Because it really is very strange and very unique. It's so unique. That's one of my three words. Should I just give you the other two right now? Yeah. I went with unique and zany, and then the third word I picked, I don't know if it's strictly an adjective, but the third word I picked was ASMR. Fun. I like that. Ooh. <laughs> you know what ASMR is, don't you, listener? It's like, it's people who get a special tingly feeling when when they listen to the sounds of, like, whispering and crinkling and accented voices, and, and it's like sibilance, heavy microphone sibilance. Uh, and in, like, an alternate universe, Mio Ittori is somebody with, like, a very famous YouTube ASMR channel. Like, hi, this is Miho. Today we're going to be listening to the sound of crinkling tinfoil. Uh, yeah, millions of followers. And then she would just hold it up to the microphone and crink- crinkle it up. Yeah. And <laughs> you'd start to feel some kind of way. This album has some real ASMR sections of it, too. Okay, uh, Trevor, do you got three adjectives for me? I do. My three words are uh, surreal, great, postmodern, great, and playful. Playful, yeah, that's that that gets at the heart of this too. Like, so this is almost I would almost like double bill this with mm food as like a back to back companion album. It's interesting you say that because my first reaction to our uh, listener discussion question this week was to pair MF Doom with Mio Hitori. That'd be great. But there is like a there's a they, there's there's a food thing happening on this record. Well, Chibomato is Italian for crazy food crazy food Mm -hmm. uh yeah and and every song on this record talks about food and all of them but one are named after a food i actually found some quotes of uh the girls talking about food yeah you want to share those with me do you have them there's an interview uh shortly after this album came out with uh them talking about the food influences they ask uh why do you use that as a metaphor so often yuka answered it's nothing strange for us it's not a put off for us we just kind of like to talk about food a lot and we really like this aspect of how food relates to our lives and miho adds in it's really connected with life you know we have to eat then in a different interview yuka says food is something you can't escape it's there every day what's interesting about this trevor is because there's such a pervasive theme of coming back to food over and over again like rather than feeling really restrictive or really gimmicky, it almost becomes like the secret other instrument in these songs. Like the food is just coloring in some of the sonic things that are happening here. And I don't find myself being irritated that like 
they can't get away from this recurring theme. I, I actually really like it. I like how it services this album. It feels like right to me. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's very, very uh, abstract. And sometimes it's oddly poetic. I, I think they do great stuff with the with the food imagery on this record. It helps the album to have this kind of centrifying concept. It really makes it feel like a cohesive piece. Absolutely. Like I almost one of the words I almost used to describe this album was lopsided because I do think it it loses some some momentum uh, in the back we'll half talk of about it. That. But in in spite of that, I do think that it feels very complete. Like I like in, even though I wouldn't playlist everything on here. As a listening experience, it, it definitely feels very intentionally sequenced, and it feels uh, like like everything got colored in. Like, there's nothing really missing here. It feels like a, a very finished piece to me. So before we get into the track by track, I started off our roundtable by saying that Chiba Mato don't like to consider themselves as like a Japanese band, because they feel like they don't make Japanese music. Right. But I do think, when I listen to this record, there are two other Japanese artists that I can't help but associate them with so i want to go into those two real quick and they're kind of related to my postmodern and surreal adjectives that i threw out there please please actually two murakamis it's the first one takashi murakami who is a contemporary japanese artist who some of our listeners would probably recognize for kanye west's graduation album cover oh right 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 the the he uses a lot of like digital and he has a very recognizable style and back when this album first came out they got a lot of comparisons to like cutesy japanese culture in fact uh the original entertainment weekly review of this album calls it kitschy club music as kooky and lovable as hello kitty but i think their stuff more closely resembles like some of the weird surrealistic characters that this murakami artist has come up with yeah i agree there's something there's something not quite racist but verging on it i think by saying like wacky zany anime it, it doesn't really feel like that to me at all i i i side closer with you it's got a cacophony that doesn't really Hello Kitty it up for me. It feels like it could be about to eat you at any moment, I think. Yeah, definitely. And some of the more out there moments on this album remind me of Haruki Murakami, who is a Japanese postmodern author whose best work includes novels such as Norwegian Wood and The Wind Up Bird Chronicles and 1Q84. He's kind of like the Japanese lit equivalent of David Lynch, whose name I think also needs to come up when I'm talking about like other artists that their stuff reminds me of. Very cool. Very cool. I like this this uh, this new idea of like here's some other mediums that hit the vibe of this record. And this is this record definitely has a vibe. They these girls don't sound like anybody. They still don't sound like anybody, Trevor. Like there's specific moments and specific songs where I might mention some some artists that this section reminds me of, but like these girls found a sound. This is a sound, Trevor. Like who sounds like this? Nobody sounds like this. It's a singular work, so let's uh, let's get into the songs. Starting with the opener, Apple. So this kind of falls into one of the, the two main categories of, of at least phase one Chibo Mato songs, which is like the the abstract, starker, dreamier ones, you know? It's a slow start to the album for sure, as opposed to some of the more like playful stuff that we get down the road. But the intro, I still think, is a good kind of like sets you up nicely for, for what to expect here, because it's got like, you got that, that, that looping uh, kind of two note swelling thing with like a 
kind of ambiguous instrumental origins uh, and there's like indistinct background vocal chatter and like eventually a very clanging beat which you'll hear a lot of those kinds of very industrial steampunky beats on this record yeah and quite a lot of these breaks move along it like an, in a kind of awkward way but they really ingratiate themselves well into everything else that's going on i think some really good lyrics from miho here i love i heard her sobbing her tears tasted so sweet i heard her singing her voice was a gray beat it's a really dark way to start things off great and i love mia's vocalizing on this hook with the ooze and then later the moaning and the interlude like She's, she's overdubbed a lot on this record. They love to double up on Miho's voice on here. And a lot of times it sounds like her voice is like chasing itself around, like almost like she's being played backwards, but she's not. And uh, this this also has like a really like weird, funky, angular guitar line in the hook, which like almost reminds me of like a Primus guitar line in a way. I like that guitar that Yuka brings in during the hook a lot. It stays a little low in the mix, but it's nice and crunchy. And yeah, Miho does some nice vocals over it. All of her vocal performances on these tracks are great. I noticed in the um, in, in the liner notes, she's not just credited with singing. She's also credited with moaning, sighing, and even thigh tapping. Thigh tapping, great. Uh, yeah, and, and whenever Yuka busts out that guitar, she's usually doing some really cool stuff with it, too. Is that live, do you think? A lot of this is sampled, I know that. A lot of this is sampled, but but she also gets credited in the liner notes as doing, like, guitar, organ, drums. Like, there's some live track instrument stuff on here that Yuka played. I like to picture her playing everything, although I imagine that more of it was sampled than not. I'm pretty sure that I read that her original intent was to kind of reproduce everything she wanted to sample, and she was kind of a bit bummed out afterwards that people, I guess, discouraged her from doing that. So a lot of it stayed sampled. I would imagine that the label would have discouraged her from doing that because it probably was cheaper to clear some of these little samples than it was to spend a lot of money tracking stuff, would be my guess. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. There's something really propulsive about how the, all the samples and the, and the tracked instruments work together in this song, though. It's like a weird, it's like a Frankenstein car, you know, like where there's like a, a smokestack from a train and the bicycle wheels and, and like the hull is, I don't know, like a, like a cigarette boat or something. Like there's a feeling that like, None of these things really obviously sit together, and yet somehow they're all building on each other. I really like it. I'm picturing Howl's Moving Castle, like Miho and Yuka leading around this giant monstrosity in a leash or something. That's great. And again, I know that I know that that Miho Hatori, at least at this stage, like her her I wouldn't call her like a 100% fluent English speaker, but boy, she writes some fucking good lyrics on this album, and and. You know, funny, smart, and and bizarre and abstract. She's a she's a she's a poet, man. She's a poet. She's a good MC. I'm I'm kind of almost disappointed that like their later stuff kind of veered pop because I'd really love to see her just heading a straightforward hip hop album. I think that'd be really interesting. Oh, she she busts out at a few places on this record and is great too. There's some fire lyrics, yeah, for sure, for sure. You want to talk about beef jerky? <laughs> Yeah, because this is when we first really see her bust out, I think. This is top three uh, on the record for me. Does it crack yours? Almost makes it. I wish it was a little longer, actually. This is like the other main category of, of Chimamato version one song, where it's like very fun and very weird and kind of like makes you laugh. My weight is I love Miho kicking this song off with the lyrics. My weight is 300 pounds. My favorite is beef jerky. Great delivery, too. 
I'm a vagabond. I'm a vagabond. And she goes, my mom says, you are kinky. She says, I'm a vagabond twice. But the first time she pronounces it almost like I'm a bag of bones. At least that's what I've always heard. I'm a bag of bones. Yeah, I got that totally too. I love that as a juxtaposed immediately after that. My weight is 300 pounds line. My weight is 300 pounds. Her delivery is so good on that, too. She almost sounds like she's doing an impression of the of the little person in the Red Room in Twin Peaks. I want to talk about the Red Room in Twin Peaks a bit later, but I see what you mean. Yeah. Especially when <laughs> yeah, she's, like, the... delivering these weird, like, cryptic lines. Let's eat, eat carrots, carrots together. together. <laughs> Until... Like, that is, like, a piece of Lynchian dialogue. And then I love after that, after every time she does the Let's Eat Carrots together, Yuka does this great little, like, 50s sci-fi sample that's like, pew, 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 pew. It's really good. Yuka definitely knows what to do behind Miho at all times, I think. They have, these two have really good chemistry. Amazing chemistry. And can we talk about this hook? It's a bit of a monster. This hook is a bit of a monster, Trevor. Who cares? I don't care. A horse's ass is better than yours. And she's just like, she's in this mode that is so charismatic where she sounds so youthful and like confrontational and she's layered herself over like she sounds like a double dutch, like a couple of double dutching tweens or something. And it's so plastic on the ceiling, like it's so gorillasy feeling to me. It's no wonder. It's very plastic on the ceiling. It's very... Um, Kilo Kisha's verse on Out of Body. Yeah, absolutely. That same, that same like weird little girl punk rock attitude that I fucking love, and she's just selling it so great here. I definitely wouldn't have minded if more of that had made its way into the first Gorillaz album. I could have like, there's an alternate version of that record where Noodle plays a much bigger role on it. I think I, I could have taken more Miho. I think she she makes great choices. She makes really good choices, and this is such a fun song. Uh, I think it's 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 stands up to me across the whole Chibamato catalog as a as a as a a classic example of the winning charisma of this band. That winning charisma is also on display on the next track in spades, I think, Sugar Water. This is my number one on the record. The velocity of time turns her voice into Sugar water. Oh, top three. Number two, number two. I love this song. I dig though. this one a lot. It had a cool video, too, where they did a kind of split-screen thing that followed uh, both members of the band. Michelle Gondry directed that video. I think that video, for you at home who's never cracked the, the Chiba Mato back catalog, is a great entrance point. Because this song's great, that video is so fascinating, and it's like a great kind of... Uh, beautifully shot like you know profiling of both of these women and their different kind of you know their their different aesthetics i think match the roles that they play sonically on the record and that's a great video that's a masterpiece in my opinion this one really makes me feel like i'm in a haruki murakami novel especially when um mio sings about black cats crossing her path that pre-chorus is so good oh it's like the best part of the song for sure when a black cat very good very surreal like very evocative and how about the lyric after that a woman in the moon is singing to the earth that's great that intro is so delicate too and gorgeous it's just like a little bit of tremolo organ like playing these descending slightly more and more dissonant chords and miho's talking about the velocity of time and it's like 
It feels like I'm in like a fucking dystopian future shopping mall or something. I love it. Totally, totally. And uh, the backing vocals in this song, those come from an Ennio Morricone soundtrack from a movie called uh, I'm Alamondo. Yeah, the... And then the the track is called uh, "Sospesi Nel Cielo," uh, and it's and it's it's pretty prominent in here. So much so that Ennio Morricone got a songwriting credit on this track. I found a one sentence summary of "I Melamanda," the movie it's from, that describes it as a chronicle of strange and shocking customs from around the world, including a dangerous game played by French students, which kind of feels like it's also a great way to describe this record. Yeah, for sure. That could be the back of the box of this, for sure. Like, to touch on something I said last week, if Leisure was a soundtrack for a slice-of-life anime about a 22-year-old kid and his friends in a baggy band, the anime that this album is a soundtrack for is much weirder. I love that sample, though. It's it's haunting and interesting. It's like this weird... It just, like, it ends in this weirdly awkward place, but it works the way that it's being looped. Really good sample work, I think. It's really great. Yuka's great on this track, and I, I really love Mio as well. I love the way she pronounces camel. I'm writing on a camel. That's great. And I love... And, and Miho, too, like, on this track especially, if you actually listen, her her vocals are pretty dry, but just through the, the the kind of mystique of her delivery, they sound reverbed as fuck. Just because she's like adding just enough whisper, just enough intrigue, like it sounds like she's she's you know singing to you from behind a waterfall or something. But actually, the presentation of her vocals are quite are quite dry. And again, monster hook, very noodle, very noodle. This hook, she really kills it. Uh, there's a lyric that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I think it's the last one. We are taking a sugar water shower. Which brings me to my discussion question I wanted to bring up. What would be the worst soda to have to bathe in? Oh, what a what a horrifying question to ponder. <laughs> I guess Mountain Dew Code Red sounds like a real bad one. That's a good choice. Because, you know, like, Mountain Dew was one that I went to immediately. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, it's kind of clear, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's yellowish, I guess. And I, I feel like that is like inherently not as gross as bathing in a dark soda. Yeah. So I think my answer would have to be Dr. Pepper. Ooh, right? And people drink people drink hot Dr. Pepper, by the way, Trevor. That's like, that's a thing in the South. That's really fucked up. Isn't that gross? That's really gross. Yeah, and they're like, don't do it in the microwave. You got to heat it up in the kettle. <laughs> There's something about Dr. Pepper that makes me feel like it would be stickier than other sodas. Yeah, it seems like it's very syrupy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I really like the baseline on this song, by the way, Trevor. It's like this weird wobbling one note thing, but it's like a really good like foundation for all the other stuff happening on it. And the and the organ on that pre-chorus, the, the, the black cat section is like, so good and that cut off like textural guitar that's under the hook yuki yuka's just making some some terrific choices i think sometimes they're so left field and like sometimes they're right there in the pocket but she's just got a specific ear and i'm always loving what she's doing i like what she does a lot on this next track too white pepper ice cream White pepper ice cream. This song is ASMR as fuck. <laughs> definitely, definitely. This comes pretty close to my top three as well, but doesn't quite. Yuka, Yuka does the vocals on here, by the way. This isn't Miho. This is Yuka's only vocal on the on the record. That's what I was talking about when I said I like what she's doing here. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, she's very hot in the mix. She's 
she's whisper talking and she split into the left and right channels. Uh, uh, white paper ice cream. It even starts with some soothing white noise. This, I mean, there's this could just be uploaded as an ASMR video, pretty much. I love the instrumentation on this one, though, like especially that guitar. It makes me feel like I'm in a noir film or like I'm a spy on my way to a secret meeting in the dead of night. That's great. I like that. It's like a lonely kind of, yeah, it's like a lonely, intriguing little little riff that she's playing and, it, and it's very haunting. And there's also like this background fog of horns just kind of doing these really impressionistic things. That's definitely great, too. I The, the drum machine sound I don't like quite as much as a lot of the other beats on this record. Like... Uh, I guess because so many of them are so kind of distinctive and funky, and this one just sounds a little bit, I don't know, out of the package, mid-90s drum machine. This one kind of sounds like Damon could have programmed it. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> it's got those plastic beach drums. Uh, there's some French in this song. Same uh, égal, is that what you're saying? Right, it's, uh, it roughly translates to, it's all the same to me, which I think they also say in English. Oh, and how about, can we talk a little bit about the, there's like a, a crazy sudden explosion of static about halfway through this song. Uh, yeah, I noticed that too. Which is almost a little bit of a... That's like almost a little bit of a jump scare moment, like if you've been lulled into a into a state by the rest of the, the song. But uh, it's very cool, and it, and it like gives way to this like very low rumble, and, and you can really hear the saxophone sputtering in the background at that point. Very cool. I like that a lot. Like you said, ASMR is hell. Is, is white pepper ice cream... A, a thing in Japan, or did, is this a Chimamato original? It sounds like it would be a thing in Japan. It definitely does, doesn't it? Maybe we should get a, a carton of it <laughs> and eat it on the air. <laughs> if we have listeners in Japan, send that into our Patreon. Yeah, definitely. You want to talk about birthday cake? Sure. I'm not super big into this one as much as I am the other tracks. Okay, I I, I, I totally follow you. I totally understand. But this is number three on the record for me, and I'm going to tell you why. I think this is a fucking showcase for Miho. I think Miho is croaking and screaming and whispering, and she's gone full mania. Full mania. Oh, she definitely goes off here. Yeah, I love her performance. Don't get me wrong. I love that it's a song about her making a birthday cake for her 30-year-old son and his wife. <laughs> Great. Great. Uh, she pours two-month-old milk into the bowl, and her son goes, it's moldy, Mom, isn't it? She goes, I don't give a flying fucker, though. I don't give a flying fucker, though. Yeah. That's probably my favorite moment of hers on the song. Probably one of the best Mio moments on the record. I really like the extra sugar, extra salt part, too. Extra oil and MSG. Uh, yeah, and the second verse, I think, is, like, the most unbroken, like, miho fire mc we get on the record like she just goes off in this verse she starts it off with this amazing lyric i'm just gonna quote it because i love it you were born in the 60s we made a war with the vietnamese we loved lsd we died easily can we just say say la vie that's so good and like that does kick ass yeah and she goes like watch out yo here i come yo i'm gonna change to a rattlesnake <laughs> It's mean, a little too shrieky and abrasive for me, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, I dig this one. I love it. I think the stuff Yuka's doing here is totally serviceable and maybe a little rap-rocky, uh, but it's clear that mostly she just wanted to kind of get out of the way of Biho and let her go off, you know? And that's one of the skills of a talented producer as well. I do encourage you, uh, Trevor, to go onto YouTube and find the live performance of this song that Chimamato did on the very short-lived, like, 
follow-up to the state that Thomas Lennon and a few other state people did called Viva Variety. Uh, it is, it's really 90s. It's, it's really fun. Uh, Sean Lennon is there playing the bass. I don't think he'd officially joined the band yet. He was just like a fan who wanted to play bass with them. <laughs> Interesting. We should say, we kind of alluded to it earlier, Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son, later joins this band. And he's, uh, he's the son of the guy who um, uh, Mark David Chapman killed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, this one's cool. I'm glad it's not longer. I, I would actually, if I could, I would take a good, like, 30 seconds off this song and probably give it to Beef Jerky, though. I, I feel that. I could even just lift wholesale almost that second verse and put it on Beef Jerky. I think that'd be sick. That would, yeah, ideal. Uh, but, I mean, come on. Miho is killing it. She's killing it. <laughs> she kills it on this next song, too. This is number two on the record for me, Know Your Chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. Know Your Chicken, which I would describe as being like a, an intentionally messy, charming mess. <laughs> it's the catchiest thing here, I think. Like, the hook gets stuck in my head all the time. It has a video, too. Not as not as sort of universally loved as that Michelle Gondry sugar water clip, but it's fun. It's like a it's kind of a riff on, like, a 90s, like, TGIF sitcom, sort of, with the, with the girls as the musical guest stars on, like, a bad sitcom, sort of. Know Your Chicken would be like, I would have gone with a game show. Oh, I like that, too. This is the most uh, narrative song on the album, right? So there's kind of a story here. Miho goes for a walk in Brooklyn. She buys these two baby chicks, uh, a, a blue one and a maroon one. And one of them uh, goes away. One of them becomes a pet. And then I guess it gets cooked uh, and fed to Miho by her, her romantic partner. And then later they have babies together. And, and it seems like maybe they gave birth to two chickens. It's not sure. Very Lynchian. Very Lynchian. Uh, if the ladies ever flirt with going too wacky on this record, it's it's here. But I think they, I think they get away with it. In my opinion, it's it's fun. This is the I think this is the record's most playful moment. I really like her livery on. Uh, uh, one was magenta, the other one was blue. That one's great. I like. She went to college to study anatomy. I followed her father's butchery. <laughs> That's great. Do you think, uh, do you read much into the fact that she uses female pronouns to talk about her lover? Do you think that Miho's speaking as herself here, or is she embodying a character? It would not shock me if 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 one of the the demographics that Chibo Mato belongs in is, like, you know, queer art uh, music. I wouldn't... Oh, I mean, they would... Like, if you asked me to guess, I would say they were icons in the community. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, but this is really fun. The arrangements here are a lot of fun, too. Like, the horns are all really great. And I love that little, like, piano keyboard fill at the end of the chorus, too. This is one... This is a song that skews the closest to sounding like another band to me. Are you aware of the band Giggy Ta? No. They were this 1990s Los Angeles, like, weird uh, funk pop band. And uh, they had a, a one hit called uh, uh, Whoever You Are, which you can look up. And the the instrumental half of that duo their configuration was similar to to Chibamato's singer and multi-instrumentalist the multi-instrumentalist was Greg Kirsten who we now know from like co-writing and producing half of pop music uh he wrote that hello Adele song he wrote uh he co-wrote uh, uh, Love on that latest Kendrick Lamar album a song that I think you and I are both quite fond of anyway uh Geki Ta had a had a very similar kind of you know Almost like a like a slinky sound <laughs> that this song has, in my opinion. Huh, interesting, cool. 
So if you if the album ends here, it's like an amazing EP. But <laughs> but it doesn't. Instead, it takes us on a little bit of a journey. With my with my number three on the record theme. Oh, great. Okay, so this is definitely Chibo Mato's Sing moment, right? So this is, this is if Sing was this for leisure, this is definitely this for, for Chibo Mato. It's a big, big piece in the middle that I feel like you're probably either going to love or you're going to hate it. Although I don't know why I say that, because I've always kind of come down in the middle. And deciding to make it in my top three wasn't something that I took lightly. It, it, you agonized over this a little, huh? I did because I like it a lot as a song and I like it as its own thing, but it's kind of hard to ignore the fact that it really kills a lot of the momentum that we've been building up with like a lot of the shorter, funner, kind of like food-based songs. I don't know where you put it on this record, but it definitely annihilates whatever kind of like forward momentum that has been building up here. Um Okay, we haven't really explained. This is like an epic 11-minute long song, which, like, to, to even consider that, like, if you stopped this album the first time I ever listened to it and said, like, okay, the next song is going to be 11 minutes long, I'd be like, what? Because this is a sound that's very specific, and it's and it seems seems like it's best suited for these little two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-minute explosions of manic pop, you know? Uh, right, little trip hop jams. Exactly, but this is a totally different animal. It's 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 a completely different animal. So, should we just like try to should we take it section by section and explain the song? Is that how we should do this? I I guess it kind of leads in with this weird kind of awkward sounding break, and then you could drops in almost like an exact replication of like the baseline from the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. Oh shit, you're right. Yeah, it's like. Bum, 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 yeah, it's this bum, walking bass line, and, and it's got this yeah. clanging beat behind it. And Miho's singing is sounds very improvised to me. It's like this meandering jazz melody that she's doing. Um, it's it's probably the most explicitly jazzy moment on the record, I'd say. Would you would you join up with me on that? The whole song is very jazzy. Yeah, definitely. It feels like we're in a club or something. I don't love this first section. I don't love this first section, Trevor. I I. I'm okay with it. None of the lyrics really stand out to me. Uh, but I, the melody Miho's singing is doing a lot for me. How do you like the part where she's being looked up and down like a menu in a restaurant? Okay, well, that I, I set aside from this section. That's like an interlude into a, and of itself, which feels... I like it. It feels like a like a French New Wave film or something. Like, there's this distant, like, deteriorating-sounding samba loop, and, and there's a coronet being played. Miho's laying it very on thick. She sounds very film noir uh, yeah, I love that. That's great. This is probably one of my favorite sections of the album, yeah. When the beat drops, I mean, holy fucking shit. That Sama beat is amazing. I don't know where that sample came from. That's the best break beat on the record, I think. Her delivery on the Ah Mio Bambino is so, like, it's so sexual and yet so desperate and, like... It really comes out of her. Oh, boy. That's... This is, like... I love this section of the song. And speaking of sexuality, how about that verse where she's like, when you touch me on the knee, I can feel your vibration. When you capture my secret key, I can hear your pulsation. Yeah. Very, very sensual (laughs) lyrics. (laughs) 
But then the next section, has, they leave the Samba beat behind, and I kind of wish they didn't. It goes into, like, a more, like, straightforward breakbeat, and, and Miho's doing some, like, Japanese spoken word. I couldn't find the translation for that. After she yells, hit me, like James Brown. Yeah! <laughs> and, then, and then we move into this kind of long, drawn-out ambient section that takes up, like, the second half of the song. Yeah, that's going to be what makes or breaks it, I think, for a lot of people. So this is kind of steel drum interlude. Yeah, it's this like melodic, repetitive, droning steel drum. Uh, and Miho's... And I do think that this part goes on probably far longer than it should. It's very long. It's the last like almost half of the song. <laughs> uh, it's, it's... You know what it sounds a little bit like to me, Trevor? It sounds a little bit like the slow parts of like a Talk Talk song, especially on like Spirit of Eden. Um, a little bit. I was thinking Brian Eno, kind of. Sure. But usually, both of those artists usually use those moments to, like, build tension before an explosion of some sort. And there's really not one here. Uh, it just kind of, like, eventually we get some, like, you know, background keys and and, and those go away. <laughs> it just kind of, I don't know. This is where it loses it for me. It just goes on for so long and it, and it, and it just kind of drifts off. It doesn't really build into anything. And... This yeah, is what it's not I, a bridge. It's a very extended coda to everything we've heard before. It kind of hurts. I think it hurts the rest of the record. It does hurt the rest of the record, but when you take theme as like a single piece, I just really like it a lot. And I, I like going along for a ride with Miho and Yuka here. I think it's the most ambitious thing on the record. And I don't know. It's just really cool. Even if it does kind of kill the momentum and make it hard to even get to the last couple tracks in this album, I'm, I'm glad it's here at the end of the day. Yeah, I almost like the only, the only other thing I could think to do with it would to be like if they if they'd issue it as its own little EP or something with maybe one other track or something like a standalone single. Uh, but yeah, I, I I I'm happy having taken the trip. I wish that the ending was a little clipped down. Why do you think this is like the one song on the record that doesn't stick to the food theme for the title? I don't know. I mean, the only thing here that even really tangentially relates it is. Miho feeling like she's being read like a menu. So maybe she's the food in this track. And doesn't she also say that her blood's like Chianti at some point? There you go. Yeah. Like there's a there's a few little a few little food nods. She's here. the food in this one. Maybe it's because this song is so separate from the rest of what's going on here that they decided to like give it its own name that doesn't include it with the rest of the tracks or something. And it's interesting that it's called theme when it doesn't really kind of stick to the theme of the rest of the songs. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like in future perusals of this record, though, I would probably just skip forward after we get to the drone section. And that would get you to their cover of The Candyman from Willy Wonka. Okay. I have to ask a question that I've been wanting to ask all week, Trevor. Okay. Does that opening voice sample loop remind you of I'm In It that we reviewed on, on the Patreon Keys Club exclusive of Jesus? Yes. Yes. It's so like it's so much like that. I couldn't stop thinking about that. The very breathy sample, yeah, totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so much like the, the beginning of that Kanye song. Go, by the way, go subscribe to <laughs> Patreon.com/slashHalloweenMonkeys to listen to that episode. Um, love this intro. Great, like simple soprano wah guitar that uh, that uh, that you was playing, and then the beat so good, bongo shakers, and like this really fat snare hit too. This is great. The question that I came to with this one is: Does it? elevate itself above just kind of being Jibo Mato covering a song from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I 
I consider this to be in the lineage of of a certain kind of cover, Trevor, uh, of these like art art rock or art pop bands with very distinct sounds who throw on a cover of a well-known song and flip it on its fucking head and, and make it their own. I'm I it's its predecessors I see is the Raincoats version of Lola. That's a classic version of this. And uh, Devo's version of I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And when I when I think of it in that lineage, I love it here. Because it's like, here's the thing you know, and we fucked it up, and it's ours now. <laughs> and it's like a really good prism to look through to really see how kind of singular their sound is. Right? I agree. There's something kind of appropriative about that in like a way that I like a lot. Me too. And I do think this succeeds on a level beyond just being a novelty. Do you like uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the, the original movie? I do like it a lot, yeah. I actually really like the original uh, kids' book by Roald Dahl, too. They're both pretty sinister. I Also, just like Sugar Water, there's this really minimalist like one-note bass line, and I really like it. Uh, and I feel like Miho's locked into that bass line in particular when she's like, the melody that she's finding on here, which which almost remind me more of that song that, uh, that uh, uh, Willy Wonka sings when he's in the tunnel, that really scary one about hell. <laughs> that definitely matches the vibe of this album a little better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they, this is cool because just like because of what I said, like if, even if you introduce something you're familiar with into this equation, it's still going to sound totally alien because, you know, these girls are a couple of fucking aliens. They're doing something that you've never heard before. You know, between this and um, We Are the Music Makers by Apex Twin, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory really had like a presence in 90s indie music. <laughs> it really did. Oh man, they should have done one of those dope compilations where they had like all the in- all the weird indie bands of the 90s cover that full soundtrack. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to have? That would have been a great way to commemorate uh Gene Wilder's passing last year. Yeah, get like soul wax <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh okay, let's talk about Le Pain Perdu. This one has, like, is it's in swing time, which gives it a very different feel than a lot of this record. It's a swingy song between those drums and the horns and everything. The horns! So staccato. I, did you get this, Trevor? It, to me, it reminded me a little bit of the stuff that, like, like Donnie Trumpet was doing on Surf, that album that they made with Chance the Rapper. Uh, it's got that kind of... The, the arrangements remind me of, of that kind of style, at least me. It made me think of being in a factory in an old Looney Tunes cartoon trying to not get crushed by a bunch of machines. <laughs> That's great. That's good imagery. This yeah. album's this album's very Looney Tunes. Definitely. I wish that Yuka's organ tone was a little less middle endy. Like it it, it it blends into the mix too much, especially she does a really interesting like circusy thing when, when Miho singing so sweet. She's doing this really interesting piece, but you can only kind of pick it out because it's so kind of flat in its in its uh, uh, tone, I guess. Um, and it frequently gets overpowered by the horns, I think. And this hook is fine, but she's got better ones on this record, you know? Yeah, the hook isn't really what I come to this song for. It's really the arrangements that make this one shine, I think. All those, all the horns and the drums, this one's really big sounding. But Miho does a great job as well, yeah, the gotta get out to get out i like that a lot it's fine it's good but you know she's sell- she's selling it but it- but at the same time like there's there's five miho hooks on this record i take before i take this one it's not know your chicken i'll agree with that no definitely not but i like that we get this big kind of hooky jam at the end 
before the final track. This really almost feels like the last hurrah because the final one is a lot more subdued than this. Yeah, Artichoke. What's your take? What do you think about Artichoke? My heart is like an artichoke. It's an interesting way to close things out considering how much of this album we've spent kind of having fun. The fact that it closes with a very down-tempo kind of haunting piano piece more kind of in line with like Apple. It's interesting that these two tracks kind of bookend the whole experience. That they weren't kind of tempted to to open or close with one of their big bombastic pieces. Yeah. I feel like I I slowly flip-flopped on this song over the course of the week. I was like not really on board, but then by the end of it, I, I... I saw its value as a piece of punctuation, as a closing uh, statement. Like, almost like, what do you, tell me what you think of this. Is this Shimamato's, like, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down? Is that what they're doing here, kind of? I saw it more as something like uh, The Overload on Remain in Life by Talking Heads. Oh, sure. Definitely. I could feel that, too. Just like, let's put on some moody vibes at the end. So it's all... Everything's kind of happening around this very deliberate tick-tock beat that really sounds like like a slow clock moving, you know? Um, and then there's this big ham-fisted, like, grand piano that's getting hammered. Uh, and when it drops, it definitely feels like a moment, but it, but it kind of just stays in that groove the whole time. These, like, these four chords, these four big blocky chords. And uh, Miho's doing an extended metaphor about her heart being an artichoke, which I like. Where like, yeah, I like that the song ends again with a f- track where she is the food. Me too. And and the petals are being peeled away, and like, I, your hands are like a rusty knife. Are you gonna keep on peeling me? That's fucking good. That's really good. Yeah. And very dark. Slowly, you got some like very whiny guitars that are starting to seep into the mix, and and it again, it, it kind of like that last section. A theme. It doesn't necessarily build into anything, but it does have a slow expansion that I that I do kind of dig, and that feels like maybe not a release, but an ending to me. Right, an ending that we feel like we've just kind of limped to, though. That's true. We don't. It's it's not a photo finish, and we don't we don't break through the end the finish line tape with our hands triumphantly above our heads. It's not that. Instead, we're just kind of defeated and being peeled and burnt and. Having lemon juice squeezed on us, but in a but there is a very satisfying Tada moment because there's a hidden track that features Miho Hatori slapping her thighs a little bit and then saying, "Yep." Hence why she was credited out on the record for thigh tapping. Yeah, would you consider that hand boning? Is she hand boning there? Yeah, maybe this track is called Jive. Yeah, well, now we've made it to the end of, a, of an interesting, weird little record, Viva La Woman, which which uh, I so encourage you guys to go out and give a listen. In fact, if do you want to just like make a five-song version if you don't got time for all that? I have an eight-track one. Okay, okay. Can I can you give me your eight-track one? My eight-track one is Apple, Beef Jerky, Sugar Water, and White Pepper Ice Cream. That's your side one. Right. And for side two, Know Your Chicken, The Candyman, La Pain Perdue, and Artichoke. I would totally swap out uh, 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 Birthday Cake for La Pain Perdue, but... but you know, splitting hairs. That's that's a good way to to tackle this record. If 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 you take that out, it becomes a very undaunting like what like twenty five minute piece. And and I guarantee it's not going to sound like anything else you'll listen to this week, this month, this year. It's going to sound like 
Chiba Lotto in the mid-90s, and they were their own fucking beast, and they were so cool. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, of the Yo! Is This Racist podcast. I don't want to give free publicity to other podcasts, Trevor, but just for the sake of context. And also the uh, Jessica Gallen and, and Dan Harmon's like, social politics uh, podcast, which I believe is called Whiting Wongs. And, and, a, and a common theme between them is the idea that like a lot of times Asians become this invisible minority in in uh in american popular culture like the the really horrifying example of it is uh uh um margaret cho got a sitcom in the 90s called an all-american girl and then it, it got canceled after one season and then 23 years passed between that and the next greenlit sitcom about an asian american family which was fresh off the boat 23 years Wild. and I, look there's just not a lot of japanese american pop duos and that's fucking badass and like why doesn't why don't gorillas fans talk about this album the way that they talk about you know deltron and that stuff it's so gorillas it feels seriously it is the noodle solo album that never happened it's the noodle solo album that never happened go listen to this shit you guys it's great it feels like an essential part of the canon like absolutely i agree with you how much fun i had so much fun with it this week it made me feel like a kid again i loved it Next week is going to be a lot of fun, too, though, because they're going to be talking about Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. Oh, I can't wait. That's already one of my favorite records. So, so yeah, spoiler alert, hip-hop classics coming down the pipeline. Uh, until then, of course, you can you can catch up with us on Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and Instagram and Amino. You can write us an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's always a helpful thing. We love when a new one pops up. We love that. Uh, join our Discord, discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. Definitely check out Trevor and Maxton's podcast, One Hit Wonders of the World. What do you guys got coming out next on that? The episode that is currently in the works is You Get What You Give by The New Radicals, which is... Oh, my God. I can't wait. It's it's a really fun episode. I can't wait to hear it. I had a lot of fun recording it. I can't wait to hear that. That's That might be... It's definitely my favorite One Hit Wonder of the 90s. It might be my favorite One Hit Wonder of all time, so I'm very excited about that. It's a good choice. It's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, thank you so much to all of you who make contributions to the show at patreon.com slash hallelujahmonkeys. Without you... Uh, this would be so much harder to keep this operation afloat and uh, and definitely go to patreon.com monkeys right now and become a patron you'll get access to our yeezus episode as well as any future uh, uh keys club episodes that we have uh coming out which will be happening every month on the 23rd so uh so definitely check that out too what's the next one we're doing uh black holes and revelations by muse yeah that'll be a great episode too so until next week i've been trevor Igraf. I'm Dylan Flynn. Don't get lost in heaven. Demo. It's very sweet. Oh, hang on. Hang on one second, Trevor. I have to take a call. Hang on. Okay. Hello? No, it's uh, it's Mug and, Mug and Diet Pepsi. No, Diet. Diet. Bye. And we're back. Hi, are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Sorry. Very important pizza delivery related call. I can hear you.